Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American tennis. And, folks, I'm glad to be on a steady diet of American tennis every week now. Uh, got a little bit more time. Season's over. Gosh, we are recruiting. You know, recruiting for a college coach is sort of like they said it's like shaving. If you don't do it every day, it starts to show. But that's what we do in the summer. And folks, I'm mentioning, I've mentioned this before, but I'm uh, only doing, oh gosh, a weekend camp and a full week camp this summer in July. You can go to uh, chuckcreasy.net, but this will be my last summer doing summer camps. I'm winding down on the camps. I think 43 summers of camps. Uh, golly, how long, how many hours? Maybe we could figure about how many hours my brain has been baking in the sun. But uh, I've, we've spent a lot of time with young people. I absolutely love working with young people. I absolutely love doing that work and uh, helping out, uh, gosh, see kids' careers get off and running. But as time, Father Time has it, those summer days like that can't be anymore. I'm still doing my consultant work. I'm going around doing clubs, teaching a lot on momentum control, and uh, I've got the one system in the world, really, I've been working on it since 1979, but I've got the one system in the world on momentum control. And it's pretty cool because it works for careers, it works for anything you do, but it helps you think the right thing and trying to group your successes together and to have into, uh, you can use it with your businesses, you can do it with tennis, you can do it with your coaching, but there's just a bunch you can do with momentum control. So I'm doing that, but this will be my last summer in camps. But this is American Tennis uh, Radio, and we're in our sixth year now. If you can believe that, six years. Started in 2013. We're in our sixth year. We've completed five years, but we are in our six years of broadcasting. Every week we have good programs, and we bring to you people from around the United States and others, then sometimes it's just an instructional show. But remember now, it's on the Yellow Ball Network. Thanks, J.P. Weber, and we're hoping that his We Coach Tennis program will be on again soon. Tomorrow afternoon, you can hear Coach John Denise. Now, I will be a guest on Coach John Denise's program. Once a month, he brings me on there. And so uh, I don't know what he has in store for me tomorrow, but I did want to mention that Coach Randy Blumendahl, Coach Randy Blumendahl has a program now called the Coach's Corner, and he's every Sunday at 7 o'clock. He's had two programs already, and they have been good ones. So look at those on the Yellow Ball Network. So today we have a special guest, and I've been asking him to be on for a while. I'm so glad. The guy is busy. 
uh, Javier Palenque, and, and Javier has already seen his check on here. I'm going to click you on here in a second, Javier, but I can go through a, a lot of his credentials. But if you look on, gosh, we go to Google for everything. I mean, we could believe that or we can believe what people say about you. Basically, I have always wanted to meet this guy since Coach J.P. Weber and we coach tennis. He said, have you been reading Javier Palenque's um, blogs and different things? I mean, my golly, the guy is not afraid to put it out there online. He just says what needs to be said. But if you Google him, they say he's uh, beside being a tennis consultant. They call him a tennis fanatic. You know, he's a tennis expert, author, entrepreneur. He's a father, too. I know that. He has been a, a player. They even say he's a microbrewery owner, and he does a bunch of things. So I'm going to get him on here, and uh, I want Javier. I've got you, I think, on the line. You there? I'm here. Okay, wonderful. And, and thank you very, very much for coming on. I know how busy you are. But I was just mentioning to everybody that I've, I, I, I want to meet you for many reasons, but the most important thing is that you are one guy that will stand up and say what you want to say and you're not afraid you'll stand up you speak out and you you've been writing things and you and uh look and and folks this is the disclaimer with a maybe we need but I don't care if someone like Javier if he and I disagree 50% of the time that means we agree 50% of the time and we can home in on that, and we get a lot more done than people that just sort of go along with the flow. I've said so often on the program that the problem with old people, when you get older after 60, you sort of pack it away and you move to the daggone villages there or something. No offense. If you're living in the villages and you're listening to my program, I'm not running it down, but you guys, uh, my golly, you know, you, you play pickleball down there a lot. But old people do not really ruffle the feathers. They just sort of say, hey, we've done enough. Young people are afraid, Javier. They won't speak up. If you're under 30 years old, I always tell you young people, if you're under 30 and you don't learn how to stand up and speak out then, it's not like you're going to wake up at 40 and say, wow, you know, I've just got strong here and I'm going to speak out. You better get used to standing up and speaking out. Our middle-aged people got the golden handcuffs on, and they basically are just trying to ride it out until they get to retirement. So, Javier, we're not accomplishing a lot. And, and I'm going to turn over to you here in a second, but I'm going to say this. Your beliefs about the USTA, your beliefs about the governing bodies of tennis, your beliefs about the tactics that are used, the big brother tactics, and pretty much these people using, they call it coercive leadership. It's not leadership by example. It's not leadership by persuasion. It's coercive. They force you into things. All these things, almost everybody I talk to out there in tennis believes the same. But I credit you. I thank you for being a man of conviction. But I also, I want to have this as a forum today where people can at least get to know you a little bit better and daggone we got to get some things going here so first of all let me ask you Javier about your background you played you played college tennis you've been here for a while I think you're 48 about middle years so you're middle-aged and uh, you've got a lot of skin in the game here you really have developed a passion for what you're putting out there so Tell me, tell everybody about yourself just a little bit so they, they know that where you're coming from, you're a passionate person, and that you're just not out there trying to make comments off the cuff. Well, thank you, Chuck, for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah, I come from Bolivia. Uh, Bolivia is a uh, very poor country. I used to play there. I played uh, for my country. I used to be number two back then. I used to play around the ITFs in South America. I was never really good. Uh, and the reason I wasn't good wasn't because I didn't try. It's just that they didn't teach me well. Uh, 
So I had no chance of being of being good. Uh, when my kids played, and then I came to the U.S. Uh, and, and studied here and never left. So I came here when I was 17. Uh, when when my kids started, I played college, and that was I didn't really enjoy that too much because I wasn't that, that that good. I wasn't very successful at it. When my kids came of age, uh, I wanted them obviously to to avoid the mistakes I made, and I realized that the coaching uh, wasn't up to par. So I started studying the game so I could coach better than, than what I could purchase. Uh, and uh, I started getting more involved and more involved, involved to the point where I wanted to show uh, progress in a very short amount of time for my kids. Uh, the reason being is because I think my kids are just like any of the other kids. Uh, they're good, but they're not fabulous, and they don't, they're not going to be world champions or Division I champions. And I think that the system has to be one where it actually captures the vast majority of the kids. I'm a business consultant, so the more I started studying the game and learning and asking questions, the more I realized everything is wrong. And my skin in the game is, is very simple. When you see a governing body that is the wealthiest in the universe, and I'm not kidding, they receive, the USTA receives above $300 million. A couple of years ago, they signed an $800 million contract for TV rights. So there isn't a sport, individual sport for sure, that is best funded than the USTA. I live in Miami, Florida. If you drive around my parks, anywhere in the city, they're all empty. You look at all the schools. A lot of the schools have a lot of uh, tennis courts, yet there's no tournaments within the schools or tennis programs within the schools. And so it's really simple. How is it that we have the best funded sport in the universe and we have no kids? So the more I started to ask and ask. Everybody is pretty much doing their own thing, which I think is a mistake. I mean, America is great because we are individuals, but the individualism only takes you so far. You got to get to a point where you have to work as a group. And I, I try to make people work together, and I don't think I was very successful because everybody has their own interests or everything is set up in a different way individually, which I think needs to change. So about a year ago, I wrote... I made a video, which is in, in YouTube, on my suggestions for the USTA. So what I basically did is spent a couple of hours of my time and made a nice video showcasing all the problems that I see as a consultant, meaning as a business consultant. In other words, in my mind, I was giving away my time for free, hoping that people at the board level, because I wanted to go to the board, not the people running the show. The people running the show have their own agendas, the board is who actually supposedly tells them what to do. So I sent uh, a very nice video, which you could see online, and I'll send you the link so you could post it. Uh, which yeah, that'd be great. And just make de- sure folks, detailed, we're going to post it. Right. Go ahead. Detailed uh, analysis of the problem and solutions to the problem. I made two of them. One is a short video, seven minutes, and one is a long video, 35 minutes. I basically gave my time away in the hopes of this would happen. And then I sent a letter to each individual board member of the USTA, the national board. And I said, could you please, I send them a letter. Uh, I hand wrote the letter. I mailed the letter. Uh, and I was very proud because I thought, you know what? They're going to appreciate what I do. Cause I thought they were going to say, wow, here's a guy who for some reason is giving us his time. Let's hear him. Right. And so that's what I was hoping. I then uh, know that there's a, there's a board member that lives near my house. And I wrote to him and I said, let's go to lunch. Uh, since I know you work here, I'm going to explain to you what I see that I think maybe you don't see or you don't hear. I figured his responsibility was to listen to anybody that would actually say something like that. If I'm a board member, and I am a board member in a few companies, if I get a letter from anybody, you better believe I act on it because somebody's actually – taking the time to express something, and it is my duty to actually listen and respond to this person because not many people actually bother to do that. Just by common knowledge, you would actually do this. I never got a response. 
And so I said, well, maybe I didn't have the wrong addresses or something. So I wrote to them again, and I said, could you please tell me if you're going to respond or not? And no response. So then I wrote an article called The Arrogance of Ignorance. After a few months, I think I wrote this in August or September. And that article uh, basically gave me a platform. I have thousands of readers all over the world. The presidents of most of the federations, French, Spanish, Argentina, Germany, you name it, they're on my list. And these people started writing to me and following me. And then I realized, unbeknownst to me, and without me wanting to have a platform, I had a platform. Go figure. Here's a guy, a dad, who just wants to give his free time to highlight mistakes of a governing body, is completely ignored, and all of a sudden it is the governing body who actually makes me this platform. So now I have a platform. Then I continued to write, hoping that I would get an answer from anybody. All I was expecting is, hey, uh, TV writer, or I mean, uh, podcast or writer, how about we speak and let's hear what you have to say. That's all I was expecting, somebody to just listen. They could have actually been smarter and done that and dismissed me after the fact, right? But they didn't. So the moment somebody ignores you like this, this is what I think. They're hiding something. Because if you're afraid to put your face to a problem, it means the problems are so big that you're afraid to make eye contact. Right, and when, right. something, when somebody does that, there's a lot to scratch. But guess what? I started scratching. And guess what? My mailbox, all of a sudden, I'm receiving material information, data from people from everywhere trying to express. So all of a sudden, my good intentions turned into a platform, and there is a need. People need to understand it is absolutely, in my mind, unacceptable to run the wealthiest nonprofit in the universe and have the fewest amount of kids ever of any sport. So there's, that's my skin. Well, you know, real quick here, I want to cut you off, just uh, jump in. What my experience has been with USTA and a lot of organizations is if they don't like what you're saying, they'll first ignore you, but then when you draw a little bit of fire, they're going to first try to blot you out, then they try to buy you out. You know, I, I remember the Little Mo tournaments. The Little Mo, when, when the USTA first came out with their 10 and under program, it wasn't an initiative. It was a 10 and under, force you to do it, you have to do it, mandate, if you don't do it, you can't even play in a USTA tournament. It was not an initiative. It was a daggone force-fed thing. When they first did that, well, guess what? There's this organization out there called the Little Mo that's got great credi- credibility, great relevance. They're well-respected. And there was a memo that went around the USTA office, and it got out onto the Internet. And it basically, from some of the executives, said, listen, we got to – we got to stop this. We got to, this, this organization's bothering us. Well, they found out it got out, and then they were backpedaling, of course, and trying to put out the fire, but the damage was done. And the long story short, the little mo is going on, and they've sort of let it alone. But I've seen them with ITF tournaments here. A guy named Jerry Simmons down in uh, Louisiana started the Chandaruba tournaments. Back, oh golly, it was right when Andy Roddick broke onto the scene in the late 90s. Well, we needed ITF tournaments. Well, the USTA, first of all, they try to discredit, and then they end up buying you out. So the point is, Javier, you're in that process. You, they did. They said, "Oh, let this guy go, let this guy go." But then, when they started drawing fire, they said, "Whoa, whoa!" And the next thing will be to discredit you. Then the next thing. Surprised they haven't put you on a committee to sort of get you to be a team player and sort of shut you up that way. But the bottom bottom line is this is I've seen this for so many years, this the same old thing. And I want to get around to the second part of the program about what we're going to do about it. But I want you to give some more background to the to the listeners. There's an article you just put out. 
It just said, you know, thank you for our grandparents, you know, for teaching us certain values. But it, the whole thing was about the money part of what, and you've exposed the money part there of what they claim and what I don't want to, I don't want to get into thing where we're saying this and, and uh, it becomes a big, big issue, but it really turns some heads, I bet, because you really put some figures together. And again, I don't want you to make any comments on the air that, um, you know, we have to, you know, because it is an article that's out there, it's public record, but I want you to tell the listeners to go to your article and read it. And then also, folks, go listen, watch his video, and at least this is a father, this is a parent, this is an entrepreneur, this is a guy that's got guts. I, I don't care right or wrong. If you got some guts, that matters. But the point is, is that we can find common ground here. All that, all that you're looking for is a voice, right, Javier? You're just looking for a voice, and you want some action taken, correct? Correct, because when you go to the tournaments, the kid in Florida and everywhere, it's the same kids playing, the same few kids, and the system is only all the system does is subtract people, and unless this is fixed, the game is doomed. And I would question that the game is doomed in many parts of the of the of the country because there's just not enough participants. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I went up to. I made a sort of a comment, a backhanded joke about the villages up there in north of Orlando by Ocala. They have 110,000 retirees there apparently living in this place called the Villages. And it was un- it was very, very interesting. We went to their recreation center and I counted 16 pickleball courts being, they were packed with these old folks playing this pickleball game, it doesn't have one-tenth of the texture nor the depth of tennis, but they were playing it, and they had one guy coming off of the courts, the tennis courts, beautiful tennis courts, and he said, yep, I'm one of the last survivors of tennis here. And I know the USTA is going really, they're really concerned, and they're, they're very worried about they've lost almost all their old folks they sort of always clung to the leagues of women players. The kids they're losing because this ten and under initiative that I'm sorry, this ten and under mandate has really driven people away from the game because people don't want to be forced into stuff. I don't care whether it's swimming or racquetball or tennis or football. They don't want to be dictated to like little kids. In the state of South Carolina, Javier, we only had. 40, 4-0 kids sign up for the green ball 10 and under tennis last year. And that's, that's unbelievable. So uh, we're, we're in trouble. Talk really real quick. Give some uh, listeners some information about your articles out there. I guess they can just go to um, Google. LinkedIn. To Google most of <clears throat> yeah, I just put my name. I have every week I write. It's been already a year. You go to LinkedIn and you'll find my articles or go to Facebook under my name, Javier Palenque, you will find me. All I want to do is raise awareness. And and the fact is, is that, again, I, I don't want to be repeating everything, but <clears throat> we cannot allow the wealthiest funded sport to have the least amount of kids because this is a, it becomes a supply chain problem. Let me give you an example. If we don't put the money into the kids and the coaches and the parks, because in country clubs, there's plenty of money, so they don't need any money. And the people that belong in country clubs, they're fine, so they don't need help. But if the USTA doesn't put the money in the coaches' hands and the people that can actually grow the game, not looking for a champion, grow the game, the problem becomes very simple. Most of the coaches become old, and the young people don't want to go in, and if young people don't want to go in and the, and the experienced coaches can't communicate their experience and pass it on, you create a problem. So the problem that the USA faces is like this. The sport is old. The coaches are getting older. The young people don't go in because the math doesn't make sense. 
what does that do to the quality of the remaining coaches that are there that are young? It's only going to get poorer, which then if you add, and if you read my last article, you'll realize there's not enough of them. So the economic incentive is actually destroyed. So what's going to mean is it's being, the whole supply chain is being destructed. When we are the wealthiest sport, this is to me absolutely unacceptable. Uh, Javier, um, we just we've been trying to start a program. Uh, I believe one of the big problems that the USTA has made and in tennis, they've pushed tennis so hard for the inner cities. But do you know, seventy-two percent of all professional athletes come from towns and cities less than fifty thousand people. We have nothing going on in our small communities. They've tried to push inner city, inner city, inner city, and not that that's not important, and, and I agree with you, and, but the point is is the game is not catching the kids in the right way. Small town tennis is a way that we might be able to go. That's a sleeping giant. The other sleeping giant is high school tennis because you already have the – infrastructure in place to have high school teams, but they've dumbed that down so badly they've they've made it a mockery as far as um, golly it's like an after school activity with the right. with just making it a fun thing instead of an active sport and I've always said hard to pick up is hard to put down easy to pick up is easy to put down now those are challenges in itself. My question to you though is that it's a lot of different things, and tennis is in trouble for, with the old people. Tennis is in trouble with the young people. The 10 and under initiative has backfired pretty much. You made a statement early that you said the coaching is not good here, and um, I want you to elaborate on that, and I agree that coaching goes anywhere from, golly, you can go to any – 7-Eleven in Florida and almost every person that works there says that they've worked with Venus and Serena. People sort of lie about their <laughs> tennis backgrounds. I mean, they really do. <laughs> People lie about their tennis backgrounds. We've got a bunch of BSers. People feed baloney, you know, out there. And But the, pro, the thing is, our country has freedom where – you or I, if we want to teach tennis, we can go out and do it if we can get somebody to buy our lessons. In other countries, they make you go through a very strict system. Now, the USTA has been trying to force that on us a lot. They oh, we have the way. You have to do our course certification. And, and people who've been in tennis are all I say, no, you've got to be kidding me. You've got a 27-year-old kid trying to certify a 55-year-old coach that's coached for 30 years, that's nonsense. It's like window dressing. So, okay, I'd like for you to elaborate. Why is the coaching not good? What do we need to do to do it? And how can we store some – what can we do to store more energy with, with, with our parks primarily? Here's what I think. The most, as you well know, tennis is a game of time, right? I mean, if you don't understand time, that's the first thing I teach. If you don't understand time, it's highly unlikely that you'll win at tennis because the only way you win, the number one basic principle is understanding time. You give away time, you take time. In life, you're giving time, and you have to spend it in a way that makes sense to you given your age. The problem that I see with the coaching is as follows. Whenever there's a parent who knows tennis, that's one group of parents, but it's actually the minuscule number of parents. So they know if the coach is good or bad, and they just hand them or don't hand them the kids to this particular coach or park. But that's not the problem because that's the minority of the people. We need the system has to be such, the coaching system has to be such when a parent comes with a kid who is likes tennis for some reason, whether it's the school or whatever the reason, they have to know with confidence that the time with that coach is very well spent, regardless of how much they pay or even if it's free. Because if they learns the wrong way, like I learned the wrong way, there's no way he can advance. It's just not going to happen. So the odds of the person leaving is, is very high. 
I think that most of the coaches that I've come across like to focus on uh, those kids that are competitive, those kids that want to develop uh, champions, whatever. But you know what we need? We need the best coaches at the beginning. And those coaches at the beginning that leave the foundations for those kids, of course, the majority are not going to accomplish much, whether it's college or being a professional. But those, are, those kids are the people that are going to be anchors to the sport. Those kids are the kids that are going to be taking lessons. Those kids are going to be members of leagues. Those kids are customers. So when you have bad coaching at the beginning, which is crucial, you actually destroy the whole system because all you're doing is increasing the odds of people leaving the game because the quality is not there. And I think that a lot of the resources go, and the better coaches go to the competitive uh, kids who are the minority in numbers, and they should actually go at the beginning. So if you get a, a great coach at a school and the great coach can teach them very well in a very short period of time, out of those, let's say, 100 kids in some school, you're going to get, for sure, league players, enthusiasts, club members, you name it. But we focus on the few that are really, really uh, talented and that can go up and have the time commitment and have the money. And there are so few that that formula, in addition to the problems of the governing body, has given us what we have which is the sport is getting old and we have lost the generation in my opinion and we have to make it up but now we have to make it up with anchors and i call an anchor a person or a coach or some family member anybody that loves tennis and would like to bring people in and bring them as an anchor but then that's the minority so we're going to lose the biggest draw which are the anchors and we don't have the interest of the game so you know, just add one plus one in that case equals disaster. I'd like to make an observation here. I've got to go to commercial in about a minute or so, and I'm going to ask you a big question to think about during the commercial time. But here in the USA, we have freedom. It is our greatest strength, but in many ways it is also our greatest weakness. People have the freedom to do what they want to do. They're used to their freedom. They're used to doing what they want to with their time. Therefore, you're right, we might have our best teachers always trying to go for the glitz and the showboat stuff. It's just like elementary school. We need our best teachers in the younger grades. Um, my son's a baseball player. Yeah, the best coaches, we need the best coaches teaching the fundamentals, but it's not the sexiest thing, and it's not where they get paid. So that's a freedom that we have. Also, the USTA has addressed, they think, this issue by putting a socialist, um, for, you know, the socialist program of green ball tennis or whatever they want to call tennis or tennis. It is a great teaching tool, I would argue. I never had skin in the game until they forced it down our throats. I never was working that much with tennis unders. I've used compressionless balls for 20 years to teach players rally tolerance. However, the USTA, once they went, you have to do this, then that gets my American uh, patriotism stirred up, and I've called them tyrants, and uh, to tell everybody that resistance to tyranny, tyranny is obedience to God. So we have to reach a medium there, and we have to do it with incentives in our country. We cannot force people into things. So therefore, the incentives of the people in the USTA, to me, Javier, is very, very poor. They, they become wealthy, they protect their jobs, and they have some very good programs, but people are just appalled, as you are, at the waste. How, very quickly before right. we go to commercial, how do you, if you, you were in charge, how do we reach the medium between a a capitalist or a freedom country, but to have guidelines like socialist does and still motivate the people at the same time. How do we incentivize our people? We need incentives. We don't need systems. What do we do? Okay. Well, the first thing is we need to understand that there's a lot of waste. 
and and I've studied the financials of my my section and the USDA. I know them by heart. And I can tell you this: in in Florida, for example, they spend a hundred percent of the grant money in salaries, office space, travel, and consultants. In other words, if you ask me how much of the money that the U.S. Open gives to Florida ends up in the hands of coaches like yourself or other coaches or parks or city or whatever, nothing, nothing. Right. And this is the problem. So, so the first problem is there's plenty of money. Okay. So there's plenty of money to create a good incentive to, for coaches. Let's say it's a park. And I, I called the USTA. I suggested this. Let's say I live in, somewhere in in Miami and my park, I don't know the quality of the coaches, but he's a coach I can afford, or maybe it's free or whatever the reason. I then, if I'm interested in the game, what I I called the player development. And I said, this is my idea. Why don't you think about it? And my idea was, I would like to take my kid and, or everybody should know, let's say, for example, every weekend, every second weekend, it's technical day at, let's say at the USTA, right? So then you could just bring your kid over with <clears throat> for $50, which is reasonable for any parent. And then they go to a pretty much a car diagnostic kind of thing, right? So you pay 50 bucks and the best coaches go, you know what? This is kind of bad for your forehand. This is kind of good. This is kind of what you need. This is what you need. And so then make a little plan. And then you as an invested parent, all of a sudden go, you know what? even though I can't afford these expensive lessons, I just got the advice on the best coaches that I know the USDA has, and they gave me a plan to work. I'll come back in two months. So that plan you take to the coach in your park, and you say, what about this? Now, let's say the coach in the park is a reasonable man. He'll say, you know what? This kind of makes sense. I'm sure there'll be some that are going to dismiss it, but not really, because they will know this is available. And in fact, I think they should be lessons available for those coaches as well so they can actually learn how to do this. Then all of a sudden we assure that the kids learn the proper way. And I want to highlight one other thing. Of course they dismissed it and never paid attention to anything I said. I actually think it's a great idea. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is if you do that, then more people come and more people are willing to participate, but then you know, you're not wasting your time. And, getting some of the money into the hands of the people that can work, providing a pathway for assurance of not wasting the time and focusing on bringing in folks who may not have tennis anchors. One last point, the average income for a tennis player, meaning the anchors is $129,000. I have this from the data from the USTA. What does that tell you? The average income is not a wealthy person. The average income is a normal person. And these are the league members. So what does that tell you? It tells you that we're losing the middle class. Forget the inner cities. I'm not saying forget them, ignore them. All I'm saying is we're losing the inner cities, the middle class, and the higher classes are barely interested. And there's plenty of money. Go figure this. Yeah, it sounds to me that they're making some bad decisions and then they're not listening to other things. I'll be right back. I've got to go to commercial. We'll be right back with Javier Plank. This is American Tennis. Please stay on the line, Javier. This is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and folks, go to my website, chuckcreasy.net, and read about my momentum control consulting that I will do for you or your business. Also, folks, if you go to chuckcreasy.net, you can find my books and my articles and other things. 
But, folks, I'm the only person in the world that I have found that has a system of controlling momentum in your tennis match, in your career, or in your business. Go to ChuckCreasy.net. and we're making him an American. Our guest is Javier Plank. And Javier, thank you so much. I've got a big question to ask here, and uh, you're going to use most of the program. But you mentioned what we're not doing. There is a great book by Tony Dungy out, and he says when people fail, you fail for one of three reasons. You can't do, you won't do, or you only do. Now, the USTA has plenty of money. They surely can do. It's either they won't do or they only do. And but here there's another fourth thing to that is that you're right. They don't listen. And it's there's a saying that number one people will hire and listen to number one people. Number two people hire number three and four people and don't listen to anybody. And the point being is that they need to get their head out of the sand. I'll just put it out of the sand. But I'm going to give you a, a for instance right now. I'm telling you that for five years you are the director of the USTA. You run the whole shebang, everything in USTA. You are the director. You have a five-year no-cut program. After five years, you're out of there. Can you give us right. five things that you as the director would do to get stuff rolling in our country the way we need to? Number one, I make sure that I we comply <clears throat> with a nonprofit, which is 30% overhead, 70% programs. So I would take all the budgets of every uh, section, all 17, and say you need to have – 30% overhead, 70% programs. That will give you instantly millions of dollars to use, number one. By the way, roughly now, depending on the section, most of the money that they get, they use on themselves. The office, uh, their, their consultants, their locations, their staff, their salaries, whatever. So the money never gets to the kids. So I would make sure that there's money, number one. Number two, the biggest two, two areas that we need to improve, high school tennis, you're right. High school tennis has roughly 300,000 participants. USTA only has about 100,000 kids. Only about 30,000 of them play more than six tournaments a year. So the easiest way to get people is to create a superb high school program. Uh, the way to do that is, of course, to have a high school program or a local program, and you're going to need some foot on the ground and people, but there's plenty of money to create a program like that. Third thing you need to do quickly is I would change the way the board is set up because the board is full of people that are not representing the sport or the interests of the sport. The last thing I would, I would do is make sure that we cater to the adults because we've lost a generation, and because we've lost a generation, we got to make up for the adults. So we need to bring the same passionate, well-knowledgeable coaches to teach adults quickly. And when I say adults, I mean people under 35. That's it. Amen on that one. We don't have any programs at all for tournaments for kids after they get to college. It's just from 18 
to 35 folks out there and you'll you can vouch for this if you try to find they used to have a 21 and under circuit they used to have a national amateur circuit uh if you try to find tournaments and competition for a young adults 18 to 35 you, there's nothing is there it's amazing it's just really well, amazing I will, I will tell you this also chuck i applied to be a board member a national board member I highlighted the fact that I made these videos and I wrote many articles with solutions to the problem. Uh, of course, I can tell you that I've wrote mo more articles than any board member right now, including the president. I can tell you that I made a video with specific solutions that are correct, more than any board member. And of course, I got a letter that said, and I'll post this at some point, the letter said, Thank you, but we have too many applicants. This is what the letter said. Thank you, but we have too many applicants. Well, that's, that that's pathetic. That's pathetic. Now, here's the, here's the point. Um, did you did uh, now some of you out there have seen it, but maybe Javier, did you see the program? I love movies, but did you see the movie The Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill? I have. Um, You've seen it. So you know that one of the first things he did was he put his enemy on his war council. Remember, he put Chamberlain yep. and then uh, what was it, Halifax? Or what, what was the guy's name? I don't think it was Halifax. Might have been, but the guy um, that just hated him. But he put him on right. the board. He put his enemies right there on the board. How wise is that? He, he said, I need to keep the enemies close to me. I mean, it was brilliant. So here's what happens with the USTA and most bureaucracies. They teach everybody that if you go 55 to 63 miles an hour, you'll keep your job and you'll keep a comfortable life. If you go 71 or 72 miles an hour and you get outside the box, you're in the danger zone. For example, Javier, I was on the National Junior Competition Committee for two years, and they threw me off. They didn't renew me, and I get, you know, right. I told the guy, "Wow, well, well, wait a minute, I've been in tennis uh, 38 years at that time, or something. Uh, wait a minute, I'm not trying hard enough. I don't have enough experience. I didn't know, and, and it's it, it's horrible leadership when you only want vanilla people on your board. And, and and so, the first thing you should do again, number one, people will hire number ones. Number two, hire threes and fours. So you've given us four things. I'm going to fish for a fifth. I like what you said. You comply, folks comply with the nonprofit. In other words, the money should automatically 30% go for the for the fancy trip, the trips, the travel, the office space, and all those things. 70% should go for the programs, the kids. Wow! Right there, that this is something that that okay, high school tennis and small towns. You need to develop a great high school program. Now, Coach John Denise will be on tomorrow uh, at 5.30, folks, with the uh, the high school program that, that he runs. He's been forever trying to get people to uh, try to make the programs better. The problem there, Javier, is that the USTA very, very naively are very – they didn't understand. They made this no-cut program for high schools in the middle, in the right, whenever you make something easy to pick up, you're going to make it easy to put down too. So kids don't care. And high school programs basically now are like an after-school activity. Change the board of directors to where the people are vibrant people in their community that are coaches that know. I love it. Cater to the adults, 18 to 35, fantastic. Do you have another that you could throw out there? Well, yeah. <clears throat> I think coaches' education uh, because I think a lot of money has to be spent on well, coaches' they're education. They're doing that. They, they, they put, they, they're trying to do that with the U.S. ETA. They sort of swallowed that up like an octopus. Well, but I, I, I don't, I don't mean, I don't, I know that they're trying to do that in their program and their culture. But what I, what I mean is, if anybody wants to go into call into into teaching uh, tennis, for example, have 
specific scholarships that they can qualify for, just like the GI Bill, for example, right? If you spend, we're going to pay for your schooling, provided you're going to spend three or four years in some community somewhere. So we pay for the college for these kids. Right. Yeah, well, that's and, great. And, and, then, and then these kids will come back and they have a debt with us, right? Uh, they have to pay back the debt, and then we have then an anchor in a particular location in some city to do it. Here's the biggest problem that we face. Uh, we, the system that the USTA has set up is a system of looking for a champion. And this is the number one flaw of their system because they're looking for something that they cannot create. The system has to be, we want our kids healthy, active, involved in the sports. And because we have so many of them, we will have so many champions to pick from that somebody is going to do something with them better. And of course, player development should stay, but not the way it is. The way it is, it's also, you know, they keep most of the money in salaries, which is absurd. You, you hit it right on the head. You do not make, you, you do not program and make just champions. They're looking so hard for a role model they're force-feeding everybody and what they've done. Everybody knows the story that, you know, killing the goose that laid the golden egg. They never are allowing the kids with the, the, the talent to be champions and the background to be champions and the hunger to be champions to mature and grow at the normal rate that they're supposed to. USTA should be supplying right. incentives not these championship building programs. They've screwed up about every you, – you want your kid to mess up, you send them down there to the USTA for a while and let some of the – oh, my gosh. And there's no way that they should have a place to incentivize kids and do things for them to earn, and they've got to be very, very smart with the programs they have. But it's, we should be doing a lot better. We made much, many more champions – before 1987, Javier, in 1987, they created the player development part of the USTA. Before then, it was a facilitating organization to provide opportunities. Once, once they felt like we've got to get into the coaching business, you, you could not have I, – I, I don't want to run it down too much, but let's just say they didn't do the best job in the world. There was a couple years there we had a – a daggone, um, uh, what's his name, did a really, really good job for three or four years. Um, I'll, I'll think in a minute here. But other than three or four years, it, it has not panned out. Um, I wanted to um, point this out. Your number five thing about coaching education. Javier, I, the small town center of USA that I came up with the system and the, and the structure for would be that my college coaches, number eight, nine, and ten players, the guys that are not going to go out and play tennis, summer jobs should be spent in communities of less than 50,000 people where there is a community center and some courts. Those community centers could give them a couple hundred bucks a week. They could get their insurance program, and they could even get PTR training. And I went down to the PTR to get them to see if they would do this, and they said they would they would train them, but the point being is that we could cut some of these college kids could go out. They you you kids are on fire for tennis. They could go out and create energy. And then if you had the right system of tournaments, boy oh boy oh boy, could could that uh, could that work? Could could that work? You know. So that was sort of the number five. So. Javier, I just I'm going to give you a couple more minutes here. We're about done, but, but folks, I'm just going to say this: this man is a brilliant man. This man is he has got the guts to stand up and speak out and say what needs to be said. And listen, you're not hey, Javier. I got to be truthful. You're not the smoothest guy around there, but you know what? I I it's give you've given me a lot of incentive to listen to you and to read your articles and things because, gosh, I mean, people, where, where are your guts, Americans? Where's your guts? Javier, what can we do? Other, How can we get people together to make a difference here? Do you, do you have any ideas? Just write the USTA. What, Javier? What do we need to do? 
the first thing we need to understand is is this, I think. The future depends on us. And that is an American value that forgotten. If you just write to the USTA and simply say, I support whatever you support, or I, I need this fixed, if they get enough of those complaints, I think it makes a difference. But I also think it makes a difference that this is our country. These are our kids. And I challenge every person or every coach, look at the shape of our kids. Look at the shape of our kids. It's awful. They're fat. And we have so much money. And we have all the facilities available. It is our responsibility as thinking people, as Americans, as coaches, as professionals. We cannot allow our kids to have a worse future than ours if we just care to piss somebody off in New York. I do not and will never accept having so much money to help and not using it to help. That is the purpose of the money, and people need to speak up. And next time you go near a school or see the kids, pay attention. Just like when you go to tournaments, you'll see most of the people watching the tournaments are old. Pay attention to the high school shape of the kids. It's awful. We need to put tennis back to where it belongs because most of the kids that play tennis are leaders, can be entrepreneurs, have to make decisions, you only improve society by having more kids play tennis. Forget the champions. Have kids play tennis is an enormous contribution to America. Javier, I could not say it better than you have. I, I thank you so very, very much for being on the program today. I'm going to wrap it up, but I just say thank you, and will you come on again? I, I look forward, absolutely look forward to spending time with you. Um, uh, we, we need you. We need you. And uh, tennis needs you. And our kids need you. And folks, I, you know, uh, just thank you, Javier. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. And uh, uh, if it comes to tennis, I make time. Okay. Thank you, and God bless you. And folks, um, as I've said, I, you know, we're about ready to sign off here. i got about two minutes. I, I wanted to say something. And this goes to the, to the heart of what I've talked about so many times. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to the guy who runs the ITA. That's the, the coaches association or the college deal. And I got, I'm afraid. I, one of the things I've been asking them is, please, 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 the board of directors needs to be a coach from every section in the country. And one of the first things he said, oh, oh, we're we're not we don't have uh, we don't have very few coaches on the board now anymore. I go whoa whoa whoa. Once again, we're going to entertainment over education. We're putting marketeers in charge. All of these lame brain things that we talked about. Coach Randy Blumendahl's program talks about it a lot. I have for the last folks go to my January. Uh, gosh, I think it was January 31st program, and my February, the first week in February, the last program in January of this year, just go to chuckcreasy.net. And listen, I unveiled, and I, I told you where the deep state is at and who is running the show for tennis. And we're in trouble because what we've done, the, the, the crux of it, is we've hired marketeers and marketing people. And like Javier just brought up, he says they're looking for a champion. They're not looking to educate our kids. They're looking for champions first. Well, you know what? It goes hand in hand. And if we have a champion, yeah, more people will want to play, but you still have to entertain. You have to educate the kids to fall in love with it. And it's not, hey, we're going to hit forehands and backhands and, and, and that, that being enough. Folks, we need to get the marketeers out of it. We don't need the guys who work for Prince and Wilson and these guys going to be board members. We need coaches. We need teachers. We need the parents who have skin in the game and dang on it. You know, that's, that's about as simple as it is. And, folks, I'm out of time. Made in America.
of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or with a loss. God bless you, and we'll see you next week on American Tennis.